Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, underscore NJ Watson. And today is our final Paper Tease session, at least for a while. So we decided to do a super size episode where we're going to be giving feedback on eight of your teasers that you submitted to us. Yeah, it's going to be a big one. And not only that, but we are going to be announcing our mentorship winner at the end of our paper tease section. So stay tuned for that. But first, we want to give a special shout out to all of our new Patreon supporters. A big thanks to Wes, Jamie, Kiana, Nathaniel, Anthony, Maisie, and Shakura. We really could not do this show without your support. It really means a lot. If you'd like to join our Patreon uh, and get access to all of this exclusive content and episodes and other great things that uh, these smart people have uh, <laughs> already done, you can do that at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And now let's get started with the final paper tease. Let's get right into it. And if you're not familiar with paper tease by now, that is uh, the section where we give feedback on teasers that you send us. Uh, it could be any TV pilot teaser of any format, any genre, as long as they are eight pages or less. And uh, what is our first teaser for today? Our first one is called Ash and Bone by Dean Benamore. And the summary is this. In an incineration plant in the middle of the night, Dean is manning a crane claw device, moving industrial waste to be disposed of. He goes outside to meet Roland, who steps out of a van. The men go into the back and grab three body bags piled inside. They take the bodies to the edge of the dump site. Roland hands Dean money, and Dean disposes of the bodies by incinerating them. He scoops up and collects the ashes into an urn before driving to a river and scattering them. Dean goes home and finds his half-brother Billy waiting for him. Billy's here for money, which Dean is willing to give him. It's clear something is going on with Billy, but he doesn't want to admit it. Later, Dean returns to the incineration plant for another body delivery from Roland. Dean notices something weird about this one, and once Roland is gone, Dean opens the body bag to find inside his now-dead brother, Billy. What did you think about this one, Alex? It was an interesting pilot. Uh, some of the, uh, the emotions that the pilot was trying to convey, or at least the teaser was trying to convey, were interesting ones, especially in terms of the relationship between Billy and the lead character. And I do like the impact of the end where Dean opens this body bag and finds his brother in it. I feel like that's a really compelling way to end a teaser. Now, with that said, some of the way the teaser was conveying the information was a bit confusing to me uh, and sometimes a bit abstract. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot more going on under the surface than, than what we can tell, which is, you know, good. We want to know more about all of this. The setting of it is quite interesting. The, this guy that gets rid of those bodies is also interesting. So I did want more of that in that teaser. I get the routine of it. So maybe uh, some of that is lost in the writing. However, I would say opposite of that, the teasers gives elements of information that cannot realistically be deduced when we see the show. So for for example, in the teaser, Dean notices in the back of Roland's neck a tattoo with dates on it. And the prose goes on to highlight that going by the gravestone on his neck tattoo, Roland died seven years ago, as if that is a big reveal. However, realistically, when the show is going to be shot and produced, that moment is going to be split second. So I'm having a hard time believing that a viewer of that episode is going to realize what all that means, especially uh, in the second minute of the show at the top of the teaser of this pilot. Yeah, that was an interesting one for me because it did seem to be this kind of big reveal 
reveal, but then nothing was really made of it. Like it made me wonder, is there some kind of supernatural element going on in here that we don't know about? Is this guy back from the dead and he's doing work for people disposing these bodies or something? Or is it just a tattoo that's kind of being very darkly comedic about like, oh, I'm already dead and this kind of thing. So yeah, maybe that was the wrong place to put a plant of something like that. Uh, It could have come later to arouse more of these suspicions as to what's going on here. Or if it is nothing important, then maybe don't put as much emphasis on that. And on a similar note, I feel like I was lacking some character descriptions. As the teaser is right now, it just lists those uh, different characters without much description. So that was one element that I was really missing in that teaser, just to understand really who these people truly are, especially the lead character. Yeah, for sure. And I definitely wanted a better sense of the time and the cuts in where we're going because there's this whole scene with Dean and his brother Billy and that's happening at night after uh, the scene before in the junkyard which is also at night and then the very next scene is back in the junkyard at night now is this the same night is it the next day where something else is coming in because it is very sudden for Billy to suddenly show up in a body bag in the very next scene uh, unless it is the next day yeah I had the exact same note uh, in terms of the logistics of it is he coming back to that incineration plan or is it the next night so definitely highlight that in the pros especially because it's all one night it seems like so that got a little bit confusing at the end Uh, in general though i did like the writing i thought it was was well written even some of the editorializing which i usually i'm not a big fan of there was one line there that i thought was quite fun which is he's operating this machine claw thing he says and like the claw game no one wins i thought that was just a nice little flourish that added to the tone and the sense of the whole thing without being too on the nose i agree i also enjoy the prose a lot some of the dialogue though especially between billy and dean was a bit too much especially when you front load uh, that dynamic without much context i did not really feel the layered emotions and layered complexities between them as much as it looked like some abstract conversation between two characters yeah i could have used more from that scene as well it did feel like some of the back and forth was just a little bit too banal again without understanding the proper context of what's going on from there like maybe if you were to see that on the screen and the actors were able to imbue something into it it would make more sense but on the page i think it just needed a little bit more so with this one what would make us want to read on versus not i feel like the setting is an interesting setup the ending of the teaser is compelling to me the one big thing I would want to heighten in this pilot is everything relating to the characters, especially the character dynamics and character descriptions, just to get a better understanding of Dean, uh, how he reacts to Billy, how he reacts to Billy's death, all these different elements that can push the pilot beyond just these steps of, oh, this guy is incinerating bodies, and then he finds out his half-brother is dead. Yeah, I, I could have used a little more story momentum at the end of that teaser as well. It's certainly a great point of oh, WTF just happened, there's suddenly going to be some conflict and there's the promise of that, but not enough of a, of a forward push into the rest of the plot. Like what happens from here? He's found the his brother's body and the other guy's already driven off in the van. I'm like, he doesn't really give me that immediate sense of what's going to happen in this very next scene. I need to know what's going to happen. It could have almost been if it was written a slightly different way, a short film or something like that. And yeah. It's like, well, I'm here, sitting here doing this job and oh no, now my brother's body is the one I have to, to bury. Like what is going to be the rest of the show? What's it going to look like every week? Definitely. And let's move on to our next teaser. And that is DOA by Tom Andrade. And in DOA, Jimmy Koufax, a seemingly boring man, wakes up, does his morning routine and goes to work at the CIA. He has a boring job redacting confidential documents. He goes home, has dinner, takes two pills, and keels over dead. His neighbor finds him the next morning and his body is taken to the morgue, where some men dressed in black steal the body bag and load it into a van disguised as a catering truck. 
We cut to her room where a woman in heels, Olivia, unzips Jimmy's body bag and slams a pen into his heart. Jimmy wakes up panting as Olivia says, welcome to the DOA. What did you think of DOA? I actually really liked this teaser. I, I thought it did a good job. It, it was well written. In the first few pages, is maybe a little bit too much of that editorializing for my liking. You know, it, it does the very generic, boring waking up in the morning with the alarm clock and whatever. And then it kind of like second guesses itself and is trying to explain to the reader, but don't worry, I know why I'm doing this. It's all <laughs> fine. So like, there was just a hint too much of that. Like it, for editorializing, it was well done, but I don't think we needed quite as much as was there. But overall, I thought that the writing was really solid and this is a well-constructed teaser. Yeah, I definitely agree that this is probably the most editorialized uh, teaser that we've covered so far. And it really tiptoes that line between doing too much with it, uh, especially, you know, towards the moment where he dies and it goes uh, as far as saying uh, an extra, ooh, his eyes are open. It's super gross and awful as if commenting on how disgusting this whole moment is, which is a bit too much for me. That said, I do like the idea of them hanging a lantern on uh, that tropey opening with the alarm, especially if you're going to do it, at least highlight it, especially if it's a comedy, you have to lean into that humor of that moment. So I got to give it props for attempting something different in the prose and going with that humor all the way through the text. Right. It was very self-aware about what it was doing and what people were thinking as you were reading it, you know, perhaps just a tiny little bit too much. You can maybe dial it back from a a 10 to a seven or an eight or something. But as far as editorializing goes, it's probably some of the best done that I've read in these teasers so far. Yeah, I would say for me, the real danger in this teaser is losing the reader once Jimmy is not really present. And if you look at the amount of content that is, it's nearly half of the teaser, it's three pages. So you would really want those moments uh, to be compelling when I feel like they're not as compelling as those scenes with Jimmy. So my solution, and maybe this is a bad note, but I would argue that you could constrain all those moments into a quick montage in the same way that uh, we've seen before with Jimmy. You could make it kind of a similar morbid montage like we got with Jimmy waking up and Jimmy getting ready for bed, except it's Jimmy being shuffled around after he dies. Something like that to lighten the mood and, and truly keep the momentum going with Jimmy. Yeah, I think that would also kind of contribute to the mundanity of, of Jimmy's routine. It's like even as he dies, it's this boring yes. process and this this quick montage that isn't Absolutely. really important. We certainly didn't need as much random dialogue between the morgue attendants that never really becomes relevant and that kind of thing. So I, I like your note there. But I think in general, it was suspenseful and there was some good mystery as to what was going on. There was genuinely a point where I'm like, well, does this Jimmy character go away and we meet someone else and it's about something else? But it would certainly float us through to that point where it's like, oh, it's clear that there's something more going on here. And just in general, I think that, you know, the DOA, that's obviously a great pun, you know, dead on arrival, but it sounds like an organization like the DEA or the FBI or that kind of thing. So I'm curious to see where that's going to lead us. Yeah. And I think that leads us into what makes us want to read on or not. Uh, I do want to read on uh, based on that teaser. I would say it kind of reminded me of APO. Authorized personnel only. That was the secret alias department in the final season of the show that maybe you don't remember because you, I don't know if you've seen alias, uh, but some uh, listeners out there uh, might. No, I definitely agree that it is a compelling teaser. And I think that is the example of a teaser that truly delivers on the premise and really gives you a mystery to look forward to in terms of like, what is the DOA? What is happening with Jimmy? And juxtaposes that craziness with the mundanity of Jimmy's life. 
Yeah, I agreed. I think that this is a very well-constructed teaser and it pushes us forward with that momentum that makes you want to read on. And like you said, encompasses the concept as well. We're not still wondering why is the the pilot called this title? It's like we're given the answer within that and we understand how that all works together. So yeah, this was a good one. Excellent. And let's move on to our third teaser. And this one is called Finding Satoshi by Shruti Saran. And so in this one, we meet the 30-year-old brothers Elijah and John Haller uh, as they enter a post-rager campus, a two-story building in the aftermath of a party with beers and kegs scattered all over the place. The place seems empty except for a 16-year-old redhead kid and a stoner. The brothers are here to deal pot to the stoner, and the 16-year-old kid named Rowan tries to buy some from them using a new currency called Bitcoin, but is laughed at by the brothers. After selling pot to the stoner, Elijah and John get groceries and run into a meth head. The brothers give him a ride as they drive through a suburban development area. They suddenly stop and witness DEA agents and a SWAT team bust into a house. The three men watch as three Latino men try to exit the house while being chased by the police. Elijah hits the gas and drives off with John and the meth head concerned. The brothers drop off the meth head at his tent before heading out again to a cabin off the grid. John is frustrated by the cows that are roaming around, but Elijah doesn't want to put a fence up to keep them out since they need this area to qualify as agricultural land. They're surprised by a giant hole roughly dug into the ground near the cabin, and that's where it ends. Uh, what do you think of this one? I'm a bit torn with this teaser because on one hand, I really like the idea of exploring Bitcoin and this idea of the creator of Bitcoin, Satoshi, who's named in the pilot. However, in terms of the actual teaser itself, it follows these two drug dealers, but there's not much for me that differentiates those people's adventures from any other sort of drug dealer type adventure I've seen before. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at with this teaser. Yeah, definitely. I think if you compare it to the previous teaser that leads us directly in and summarizes up that concept of the DOA, this one instead doesn't make any mention really aside from the trying to buy drugs with Bitcoin thing of the notion of finding Satoshi. And so at the end of the teaser, we're still wondering, well, what is this all about? Is this just a breaking bad with pot dealers in Colorado thing? What does it have to do with Bitcoin? And those are the kind of the bad questions to have and that it's more confusion than it is mystery. Yeah, I would say to that point of the end of the teaser, there's no real climax to that teaser. It kind of ends with them uh, discovering that hole dug in their backyard. And seemingly this is a, some kind of concerning development. But we as readers don't really understand why. It doesn't really play as dramatic in that moment. It's not like they find a dead body or something overly threatening. It's a hole in the ground near a cabin, which isn't really generally threatening, at least to me. Right. If they look into the hole and down there is the creator of Bitcoin, Satoshi, <laughs> and they're like, well, we found him. No, uh, you know, there's something like that where it, it connects it all together, I think was was necessary to really like elevate this teaser in that way. Yeah. And I would say to the actual story of the teaser, I would argue that the, that 16-year-old kid dealing with Bitcoin being the precursor of that wave seems to be, if not the real protagonist, at least the most interesting character in that setup compared to the two brothers who don't really bring anything intrinsically unique, at least to me, in that setting. For example, even the moment where they see the DA bust in the house, uh, it kind of reminds me of that Breaking Bad scene where Walt sees uh, Hank's people bust Jesse's place. But at least there was a clear reason for it in terms of the arc for his character in that pilot. And it also introduced us to the other main character being Jesse in that story, whereas this whole moment seemed uh, disconnected from the series of events in the same way that the meth head I'm kind of unclear why we need to meet this method and this teaser uh, because he doesn't really seem to bring much payoff to that sequence. 
Right. I did think those those disparate elements needed to be tied together in some way that felt like purposeful in that teaser. Uh, aside from all of that, I did think in general, the writing was good. The dialogue was interesting. It was funny. So, you know, on the page, it worked well. It was really just weaving everything together that needed to be the focus. Uh, in terms of some of the, the smaller points, I noticed that there wasn't actually a year put on this for the setting. Was that right? You didn't see a year either? There wasn't a year. That said, I actually like the idea of putting on a title card at the end, which currently exists. There's a title card at the beginning, which says Bitcoin $1 to sort of symbolize and show that the current value of Bitcoin is $1, which is the way it started off as. Uh, so I do like the idea of tracking the value of Bitcoin as a through line for the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to your point, I feel like what you want is... Uh, for someone who's maybe not as familiar with the Bitcoin value and the fact that this is a peer piece, really uh, highlighting that in the pros. Yeah, I mean, I did like that device, but I think you could easily say whatever it was, 2011, comma, Bitcoin price $1, you know, and in that way to, especially for people who aren't familiar with Bitcoin, even like the BTC, they may not know that abbreviation or the fact that that's what it stands for. So you could just say in the first one Bitcoin brackets BTC $1, and then every time I'll afterwards use that. The other thing that stuck out to me was that there's this whole conversation about how marijuana isn't legal in Colorado, and that was actually one of the first places in the U.S. to legalize it, so it's before then, but to us, we, we don't necessarily know what year that is off by heart. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, like, the your notes are completely valid, and it does tie back to what we perhaps want more out of this teaser and this pilot, which is more of the Bitcoin, more of that world, kind of like, you know, if you are looking at halting catch fire as the show that really encapsulated that moment and this is this version for the bitcoin era then i would personally want a lot more bitcoin related content front loaded in this pilot or at least the teaser what do you think would make us want to read on versus not? I mean, like we said already, I feel like either something delineating these two brothers as their unique selves, uh, which currently doesn't exist, or at least some way of tying it all together and relating it to the very premise of the show, which is this Bitcoin-related drama. So I would want a really clear through line in terms of why is this a Bitcoin story? Yeah, and I definitely wanted to see some more cause and effect in the action there. If they'd shown up to this college place, started selling marijuana to these guys, maybe they end up trying to sell it to the kid, and then the police raid their house, and they've got to get out of there, and this kid's in the car with them, and they drive back to his house or something. At least that's all more connected in terms of the action, and then they're going to be talking to him about Bitcoin, and you know maybe the police were there to raid him for doing some sort of illegal cryptocurrency stuff on the dark web instead of the drugs is what they thought. You know, just like little things like that that take all the pieces that you have and work them together in some way uh, to push forward that momentum into the rest of the script, I think is what's needed. And then he bails himself out with a hundred Bitcoin and says, I am Satoshi, cut to black. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. All right, what is next in our teaser list? And the next one is by one of our Patreon supporters whose uh, teaser was chosen through our special paper Patreon slot for the paper tease. And it's Monsters Don't Kill by Anthony Decimus. And in Monsters Don't Kill, a 12-year-old boy, James, is awoken by a noise from his closet. The Haitian boogeyman, Tonton Ma, emerges from the closet and tries to grab James, who pulls out a loaded shotgun from under his pillow and fires it at Tonton Ma. James's dad, Dale, bursts into the room with his shotgun and Tonton Ma leaps out of the window and tries to escape into the fields. Father and son give chase in their pickup truck and on the highway, James lands a shot that blows off Tonton Ma's leg. They then run him over with a crunch. The boogeyman is dead. What did you think of Monsters Don't Kill? 
So this was an interesting one. Obviously, I think it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a it's a fun little set piece, I guess. Especially that last line, the boogeyman is dead, gave me a bit of a smile. Uh, there were a few little issues for me here. In terms of a teaser itself, again, we have this problem of I don't know where it's leading us. They've killed the boogeyman. Like, what happens next? Is this kid going to grow up to become a monster hunter? Are the police going to come and investigate this death? Uh, where does it really take us from here, aside from this this one moment? Definitely, especially if you look at the way you're constructing a horror sequence. Every horror movie that has that kind of teaser opening focuses not on the victims, but on the monster. The monster is the person who wins that scene, right? If you think of Get Out, it isn't Lakeith who wins that scene. He is the one who gets kidnapped. If you think of It Follows, which is another great movie with that creature that follows people, the creature is the one who wins that scene. So in this context, if Tonton Ma doesn't win the scene, then we got to wonder, what is the show about? Who is the threat? If the very threat of the show is being killed in the opening sequence, then who's the real monster at the end of the day? It feels too resolved. It feels like a short film where we've played with the audience's expectations and had some fun with it, but I don't know what it leads us into in terms of a TV show teaser. Now, getting down to some of the micro stuff on the page, there were a number of places where the grammar and the syntax and the conjugation of verbs and stuff could use some work. In particular, we run into a couple of things where they're writing in the past tense. It should always be in the kind of present continuous tense as it's you know happening on the page or simple present tense. You know, he walks there rather than he walked there. Even um, in the action, uh, for example, bam, came the sound of the gun or beep, beep came the sound of a horn. It kind of sounds like a Dr. Seuss story is what I was thinking. Uh, there's kind of this weird musicality to the prose uh, that isn't really conducive to crafting that image in your mind because uh, the prose is meant to convey what is happening at that moment in that second. Yeah, exactly. You can just say bam, or, you know, the gunshot goes off or that kind of thing. You don't need to kind of describe around that. There was also a number of times where there was a plural verb instead of a singular for a particular thing. For example, plumped toes and rigid nails pokes its head out. I guess it should be poke their head out in that way. But, you know, there's just a few things there. Yeah, there's also uh, a lot of its and its mistakes, uh, as in its ITS versus IT apostrophe S, which is kind of like there and there, you know, the mm -hmm. T H E Y R E apostrophe R E versus T H E I R. A lot of those mistakes are really basic grammatical mistakes that should not be made in a script. Yeah, and there are also either typos or misappropriations where words sound similar but aren't, aren't similar, you know, inhumane versus inhuman, or creek with ee versus creek with ea. So I think that this needs to certainly be a spelling and grammar pass all the way through this to, to make sure that it, it all makes sense. Yeah, and, and just going back to the story itself, uh, I was a bit confused by this Southern father and son going out and being tortured by this Haitian guy and then shooting him uh, in the face. There's a lot of racial implications here. So you got to be careful with the way those dynamics are portrayed on screen. Yeah, absolutely. And one kind of small note is just on, on the cover page, uh, some of the, the basic template stuff was left on. So it actually says, based on, if any, uh, mm. which which is what it's, it's there a, before you actually write in. It's a popular book. Have you not read it? <laughs> so that's just, again, like a minor little little problem that needs to be kind of checked over. And on that, what would make us want to read on versus not? Again, I think it's all about leading a thread through into what the rest of the pilot's going to be and what the series is going to be week after week. At this point, it does feel like a completely close-ended piece of action, and I don't know where it's going from here. So uh, if there was something to suggest that 
we're going to cut to the kid all grown up or we're going to realize that there are a whole bunch of different monsters attacking this family or whatever it happens to be. I just need to know what this looks like as a show to make me want to read on. Yeah. Like I said, uh, if the scene is about these two people, then there needs to be a context for why this monster is attacking them. If you look at even a, a horror show like the haunting of hell house, the haunting of hell house is built on expectations from these people that something may or may not be happening as opposed to them killing off this demon in the opening scene of this 10 episode show. So you gotta be careful when the first sequence is truly about this Tonton Ma character and how that is going to affect the rest of the show. Is the show really going to be, like you said, a bunch of monsters that are going to attack them? Is the show more about the repercussions of these people having been through this trauma of being attacked by this monster? Then that is what the teaser should be about. It should be about this trauma. It should be about how horrifying this whole sequence is, not as much how epic or cool it is to kill this monster. Right. Or if, if you're leaning more into that kind of comedic tone and whatever, like maybe what is the world like when you've killed the boogeyman? Like, you know, that idea of, I think in Supernatural at one point, someone killed death or death went away. So no one was dying. You know, there's a lot of ideas that you could explore of how the world changes if you did just happen to kill this monster. But in terms of choosing the monster, I think you had a good point. Like every horror movie, the monster is the way it is for a very particular reason because it's exploring some human fear or theme or thing like that. So why is this random Haitian boogeyman in the closet of this Southern family? And what is that exploring? What is that speaking to? And what does that tell the audience? And and how is that all going to tie into the concept rather than it just being a, a random monster? from? Above? Yeah, I mean, there is this opportunity to explore those themes and those values and what it means to, for example, be an American perhaps or whatever themes that person wants to explore in that teaser, I think our issue is that it doesn't really lean into those elements as strongly in the teaser. It's kind of this weird sequence of this monster attacking those people without true reasons for why. And so if those issues are solved, then perhaps we can read on. What is our next teaser? The next one is called Two Timing by Megan Kingsbury. And in this one, over the song Walk Like an Egyptian, we follow a 28-year-old Kiki through a bazaar in ancient Egypt. She arrives at Cleopatra's chambers and interrupts a makeout session between Cleopatra and Mark Anthony to serve them food. Cleopatra and Mark keep flirting and even offer a threesome with Kiki. We then cut to three hours later in a New York apartment in the East Village, presumably present day, where a time machine lands in the living room. Kiki bursts out of the time machine, which informs her that the machine itself has had a fatal error. Then Kiki's literary agent, Shelley, calls her urgently because Kiki has a book reading in five minutes. Kiki grabs a pile of books and rushes out the door of her apartment. What do you think of this one? So overall, I quite like the concept of this time traveler playing around with history. I'm assuming to write books based on her experiences. But to that point, I kind of wanted a lot more of that aspect in that teaser because you have ample time in that teaser to milk that premise even further. Maybe it's a book about ancient Egypt and she mentions something about her time with Mark and Cleopatra in that scene or at that book reading. I want to see the follow-up and the payoff to the opening in Cleopatra's chambers. Yeah, that's that's a great point. We do spend a fair bit of time of her in Egypt doing all this stuff and we need to get a sense of why story-wise that was important for us. The lead-in to her being, uh, you know, I've got to rush off to my book thing because I'm an author who presumably writes about my time travel stuff is an interesting kind of like thread. But I think for a fully effective teaser, you do want to kind of follow up with that punch of 
and here's my book on ancient Egypt by Kiki, whatever her name was. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there needs to be that payoff where that sequence in Egypt feels connected to then this completely unrelated moment in the East Village where this time machine just happens to appear in someone's living room, uh, which we're assuming is present day. To be honest, I'm still not sure because the pros did not specify what time it was. Right. Without that connection, it feels instead like kind of a hat on a hat thing where we're throwing too many concepts at once and then overwhelming the audience. All of that said, I think that the writing on the page was fun and funny. There were a couple of jokes there. I liked the whole kind of brother, husband, cousin, wife, daughter, nieces yes. thing with that. Mark <laughs> that and Cleopatra. I will note that one of the jokes there about Jesus, Mary, and Osiris, I believe Cleopatra was around like 70 BC, 100 BC. So Jesus and Mary would not have existed. I'm sure that that was part of the meta joke for it, but that's just kind of a, a minor niggle there. Yeah. I mean, I, I did really like the humor as well. I, I think that it is well written overall, at least for me, the one missing piece of beyond that connection and the payoff was clarifying the transition between time period and present day. Uh, for example, we can have a scene, uh, you know, there's again, a bad pitch perhaps, but we could have a scene where Kiki gets to her time machine in ancient Egypt, and then we cut to her arriving in present day, as opposed to having this completely unrelated hard cut to someone's living room in the East Village, which is not really guiding us to that transition. Yeah, maybe she loses track of time in her threesome with Cleopatra and Mark Anthony, and then she has to rush <laughs> back to her time machine, which, you know, we could carry some of that tension of it having a fatal error instead of it being an afterthought. She gets in and she's trying desperately to make it back in time for her book reading, or, you know, even if we don't know what she's trying to make it back in time for yet. And then, you know, we carry that tension and action through to her arriving in her apartment. And then the time machine blows up or whatever, you know, it's going to do with its fatal error rather than it just being kind of like, and here you're back. And as an afterthought, I have an error. Yeah. And especially because this is presumably an animated pilot, logistically, there's no concern of sets or whatnot, or at least in terms of the pilot writing of it all. So you could have those scenes because it's only a handful of pages right now. And so if you expanded that teaser even more in those different moments, I think it would bring it to a whole other level. And did you have any micro notes on the page? Yeah, uh, just a, a couple in terms of the scene with Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. I kind of wanted a lot more content from Kiki's point of view, specifically during that scene between Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. Uh, even though their conversation is fun, we kind of lose Kiki in that sequence and all the dialogue and dynamic is on them. Uh, however, I kind of wanted more of, for example, how Kiki reacts to them or the way they talk or that weird intimacy between them or being offered a threesome by Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. That's a big moment. So just all those little amounts I, I think could add up to really pushing Kiki as a character. Yeah, you definitely have to take advantage of those opportunities for your character to express their point of view on what makes them unique and interesting. And you can have all the funny side characters you want, but those are going to be gone as soon as she time travels back. So we need to make sure that she's going to be the one carrying us through. Definitely. And uh, what makes us want to read on versus not? I do think that this is a really fun concept of this author who travels back in time to firsthand experience things and then write these books about them. So I think that that would provide the basis for a good engine of the show. Uh, I think it's just like we said earlier, if we connected in that earlier funny skit in, in Egypt with her showing up to her, her book thing late and then presents her book on Egyptian threesomes or whatever she happens to be writing about, then uh, I think that that would kind of uh, connect into more of a punch 
and offering some kind of thread perhaps with the, well, your next book is due next week on ancient Germany or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, absolutely. You got to remember that a teaser is meant to be this micro version of the entire show. So if the entire show is about this time traveler who goes back to specific periods of history, experiences those periods of history, and then writes about those periods of history, then you could have that sequence all be about that. She goes to Egypt. She comes back from Egypt. She talks about Egypt like she was there because she was there. So all those different elements in a comedic way uh, would really make us want to read on even more. And what's our next teaser? Our next teaser is Super by Michel Lechon. I hope uh, I'm pronouncing correctly as a fellow French person, hopefully. But in Super, we open on innocent citizens fleeing from an unseen villain named Electro Mace, while a crimson-clad hero, the Griffin, steps in to save the day. We then see that the villain is just a guy in a motion cap suit, and the Griffin calls cut. We are on a soundstage where Jason Caldwell, the actor playing the Griffin, argues with his director about making the villain a practical effect rather than CG and clash over how much people actually care about this hero and its faithfulness to the comics. Back in Jason's trailer, he has a similar conversation with a studio exec, Michaela, who echoes the director's sentiments. After she leaves, Jason has a flashback to his childhood when he first discovered the Griffin comic book and how important it was to him. In fact, he promised his mother he would become the Griffin. After that, Jason starts drinking heavily and partying until he passes out and wakes up in an animated world in a penthouse and looks at his own reflection to discover that he has now become the hero he was playing, Simon Shaw, the Griffin. What did you think of Super? Yeah, I think this is another fun concept. And there are a lot of elements to it that do fall into a couple of cliches, like the overly cynical movie director and studio exec who doesn't really care about what they're making and all that kind of thing. And so th that felt a little bit too much tried and true and the alcoholic movie star. However, that twist at the end for me, I guess, like redeemed all of that because you're just setting up this dynamic of this world in which no one cares about this superhero except for him. And then he winds up literally becoming it and going into this animated world where he is that so i think that in that way it worked yeah and to that that is the real draw of the show right it's he actually becomes birdman or the griffin in this case it's this transition into this animated crazy world if that is actually the show then maybe the teaser should be most of that instead of this front loading of the action in this back lot uh, especially because it is a pretty common way of opening things, right? We've already covered at least three teasers, I think, on Paper Tees with a relatively similar opening where it's sort of this show within a show, movie within a show, and then someone calls cut, and then we pull back, and it's actually a show or a movie or whatever it is. Uh, so getting rid of that, but really focusing on the lead character and his transformation into uh, the Griffin, I would argue would make for a better teaser. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind the teaser ending on him waking up in that world and discovering he is the Griffin. I think that that's a strong ending for a teaser. And you have the rest of the episode to explore him being within that world. I would say if you ended the entire episode on him waking up as the Griffin, that would be bad. But I, I'm willing to forgive it for the sake of the teaser. But the stuff that did happen before that, like we said, is a little bit tropey and perhaps could have led into this in a more unique way. Yeah, well, my note wasn't really about ending it on something different as much as it was exploring it a little bit further in that sequence it doesn't have to be five pages it could just be you know half a page but especially if you're going to cut back on you know sort of the movie within the movie at the beginning 
that would really catapult forward what the show is really about, which is this character, this actor struggling to find himself and uh, wanting to be this character so bad, as opposed to, oh, they're making this movie with Milhouse and whoever it is, and you yeah. know, the goggles do nothing. That's just what I'm saying. Right. No, I definitely agree on that. And to that effect, there is some repetitiveness there where he basically has the exact same conversation with the director as he does with the studio exec in the uh, the trailer. And while that you know could be seen to be reinforcing the fact that no one cares but him, I don't think that the conversation with the exec offered anything new. If we removed her completely and it was just him and his trailer looking at his alcohol and having this flashback, the exact same thing would have been achieved. Absolutely. And I think that is to uh, the testament of the show and the concept. The concept is so strong and there's so much potential there to really have that character live through the emotions of wanting to be that character. I want more of that. I want less of you know the back and forth with the executive, which I've seen before. Absolutely. All right. So what would make us want to read on more here than not? Well, kind of what we already said in terms of exploring who this lead character is and really emphasizing why he wants to be that character. There's already a flashback, which is great. Just want a little bit more in that taste of this is a character who's going to become the Griffin. He's going to become the true thing that he's always dreamed of being uh, to the next level. Yeah, I agree completely with that. I think that we can take the opportunity to get some more insight into the character and his his state of mind and the things that would reveal more of that to us than the generic kind of, we're on a movie set making a thing. It's a, it's a fine way to start a teaser, but just be very aware of uh, the tropes and how you can subvert those expectations. But I do think that I am interested in reading on and seeing what happens now that he's in this animated world as a character he's always wanted to be. Like you said, it's so strong on a conceptual level that it will make people want to read that. 100%. And now let's go to our penultimate paper tease. This one is called Vigilante by Christina Arango Dowling. In 1863, in Idaho Territory, we meet Grace Quinlan waiting for her husband, John Quinlan, who arrives in the middle of the night. The two cuddle in the ranch and discuss their future and their children. We then find 20 armed men on horses near a small mining town, all vigilantes led by Tim Whitney. They encounter the young sheriff, Henry Turner, who tells the vigilante men how to find a wanted criminal named John Quinlan, Grace's husband. The men ride off to their ranch, and then later in their bedroom, John and Grace are overtaken by the armed men. Tim threatens to kill Grace if John doesn't cooperate. John relents and gets dragged outside the house and tied up with ropes. As Grace and the sheriff and the mob watch on, Tim Whitney lists counts and crimes that John is accused of as an outlaw. Grace pleads with the sheriff to stop the men, but he doesn't. Instead, grasping her in his arms to keep her away from what's about to go down which is the hanging of her husband. Grace breaks free right as John is hanged from the rafters. She drops to her knees and cries in anguish as she watches. All right, what do we think of this one? I really like this teaser. I thought it was a very effective way of painting that picture of these two characters and going through what happens to her husband, which is traumatic and horrible. So I really explored those elements well. My biggest question is, who is this show about? Because the show is titled Vigilante. You would assume then that the heroes or the protagonists of the piece are the vigilante men, not Grace, even though the teaser is really about Grace. So perhaps if the show is about some kind of Kill Bill-esque revenge quest where she hunts down the 20 men one by one, uh, if that's the case, then that is an effective teaser. However, if the angle is more about the men themselves, then I might switch things around to front load the men 
arriving in town and us getting introduced to Tim Wendy first and foremost before focusing on Grace. Yeah, I would just say from what I've read that it is quite likely we're going to follow Grace after that, but it could have used more of a suggestion of how that's going to happen. You know, even if it is some sort of uh, editorializing where the anger burns up in Grace's eyes as she plots her revenge, you know, and that's a little bit too on the nose, but that kind of thing. I guess the thing that suggests that to me is the fact that she's quite often saying, well, I want to help out with stuff around the house and doing this. And he's like, no, 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 like that's what I'm here for. But so, you know, she's in this place of not having any power and now everything's taken away from her and she has to go back and take that power back for herself. So I could see that being what goes on with that, but there's definitely a way to make that clearer. The thing that I did like about this was character relationships and the dynamics, the dialogue between them was all really rich, especially the relationship between Grace and her husband. In a short amount of time, we are invested in them and their love for each other and their life together, and then it's all taken away. Yeah, to me, it was clearly uh, Grace as the heart of the piece and the person we are watching. So it does definitely hint at Grace being the lead character. My question was more to do with what is the true concept of a show? Like you said, your solution of uh, sort of editorializing or hinting at something bigger, I think could help drive that forward. I kind of like the idea of her hunting down those <laughs> those men one by one. That is kind of a cool concept if that is the show. Otherwise, that is my question is sort of who is truly the centerpiece? If Grace is the centerpiece, then so be it. I think that's a quite effective teaser. And like you said, the John Grace dynamic is really compelling. And I think that is a feat considering it's only a handful of pages and you got to make us care for those two people and this guy who's going to be murdered. Yeah. And I do think overall, there was a consistent sense of voice and tone throughout in the writing. And it, even though it was quite subtle, it, it did kind of feel like you were in capable hands and, and everything was being treated, I guess, in a weird way in that kind of like olden timey fashion, like just the choice of words occasionally and the action would suggest that and it worked well. I kind of only had one super micro note, which is to remove revision stars. Like on page one, there's a leftover revision <laughs> star. So if you want to do control A and then remove revisions, uh, that would be great. Yeah, and my only thought was really just at, at the end there that uh, we could have had a bit more of a punch. I wasn't sure exactly when the hanging was happening in the action. It was like he was being strung up and then she was falling to her knees. And I think that there's just a point there where you need to indicate that like he's hung to death and then this happens, you know, just kind of a, you don't need to be like, bam, he's yeah. hung or anything like that. But <laughs> Crack his yeah, neck. Exactly. But uh, just kind of making it clearer exactly what just happened and the impact of that. Yeah, definitely. And our final paper tease is White Rose by Matt Michael Melvin. And in White Rose, Sam Silver, a young student surrounded by empty cans and bottles, polishes off the last of his whiskey and collapses in his room. His friends Eric and Victoria, dressed in black, find him and decide to let him sleep it off and take him to the hostel later after things have died down. They suggest that Sam is responsible for their quote, win tonight, even though he did not help with the execution of it. Eric and Victoria then spend the evening reminiscing and making love. Sam finally wakes up in his room, hooked up to an IV. He pulls it out and goes to the roof of the house to see police helicopters circling the city as massive riots of college students and protesters rage across Minneapolis. Sam seems incredulous. What did you think of Wright Rose? So there are a lot of interesting ideas in here. The main thing that really came across to me was just confusion about exactly what was happening and when and, and how that's being communicated to us. I did have to read through it a couple of times to kind of piece together enough to to summarize it. And that's usually not a good sign. You know, you want your, it to be coming across clearer to the audience uh, and not relying so much on withholding that 
to the point where it leads to confusion. Yeah, I mean, this is something we've tackled many times before. There's a difference between uh, being too on the nose as opposed to being too mysterious uh, just for the sake of withholding information for the audience. I would contend that more exposition is better in this case. The bad version of that would be, for example, some kind of news footage talking about the riots and what Sam and those people have done. There's ways of conveying it organically with, for example, Sam waking up and going through the aftermath as we figure out what exactly transpired in the past. You know, you can start the action entirely focused on Sam and keep it focused on Sam. Don't cut away to Eric and Victoria talking about nonsense training stories because even though in a comedy, maybe the appeal of those people talking about life is interesting because of the jokes in a drama, there needs to be some kind of plot and story and narrative momentum, which as it stands currently is missing in those scenes because the teaser is meant to grab us. So having the scenes of conversations can definitely happen later in a pilot, but front-loading those discussions about, for example, college with no real plot reasons doesn't really explore character at this stage. It really feels more like filler until we get to the real meat of the action, which is everything relating to Sam. Yeah, I agree. I think there was a weird juxtaposition between that lightheartedness of the conversation between Eric and Victoria and what they're doing. And also just kind of like, we weren't sure what to make of the situation with Sam being serious or not. Was he just drunk and passed out? Was he injured? That one of them really wanted to call 911 and take him to the hospital. And the other one was like, oh, he'll be fine. He'll sleep it off kind of thing. And then they go off and make love in the next room. So it, it really did detract from a, like the momentum and the flow and the tension of what's going on. And also just like the tone, it kind of confused us as to, is this a serious situation or not? Or how severe is this moment? Is this person wanted by the FBI or is he just casually drunk after a night out? We don't really get it because we don't really understand the context of the situation. Situation. So really highlighting that, uh, not just in the prose, but in the conversation between the characters and focusing on the actual action would really help us. Yeah, there was a point where he's waking up and the slug line suggests that he's in a hospital and he looks around and sees he's in a hospital. And then a moment later, I guess he like comes to and he's in his room but he's still hooked up to an IV. And so I was just very confused about, did they take him to a hospital and now he's back in his room? Was he never in the hospital at all? And he was imagining that. Then where did this IV in his arm come from in this random rundown house? Like it was just a little bit misleading. Yeah, again, it ties back to something we've already covered, which is just exploring those elements in the present, just making us understand, walking us through the experience of Sam. If Sam is confused, we can be confused, that's fine. But if Sam is aware of what's going on and we need to understand the same thing that Sam is understanding, then walk us through that prospect and walk us through the same things he's walking us through. Yeah, but for such an important and central character, I imagine Sam's the protagonist of the main character. We really spend no time with him at all. We spend the very beginning and the very end where he wakes up and sees the result of all this stuff, which is, you know, a cool moment. But we do spend so much time with these other two random characters, his friends, that it's like, I would rather be more in the shoes of Sam experiencing the aftermath of these riots and realizing what he's done. Yeah, this is something I just brought up. The fact that if Sam is the protagonist, we want to live that action through him. If you look at something like the pilot of The Walking Dead, Rick, when Rick wakes up in the hostel, we follow him all the way through. We don't randomly cut to some random people in a ranch somewhere, right? So like follow the same principle and a teaser because that teaser is supposed to drive us forward. So putting us in the shoes of Sam, even if he's confused and even if we're discovering what is happening organically through his actions, that is one way of conveying that mystery and those answers.
answers without being too obtuse. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a world in which you just take the two friends out of this completely and you have this guy getting drunk in his room. He passes out. He wakes up and stumbles out into the street to see all of these riots and and walking through and what's just happened to this city. And then we get some sort of hint as to the fact that he was he was responsible for it. You know, the staying in that POV in the way that we do in The Walking Dead, I think would be an interesting way to play it. Yeah, he was dead all along. That's a twist. <laughs> All right, that wraps up our super long, super big paper tease session. However, we have some big takeaways, issues that have been sort of repeated over and over again in paper teases of the past. And we did want to highlight those issues so that you could avoid it in the future. Yeah, given that this is the last paper tease we're going to be doing for a while as we're about to announce our mentorship winner right after this, we wanted to just reiterate a few of these points to take home and uh, utilize when you're writing the teasers of your pilots. Now, the first one is, number one, make sure you you are really setting up that momentum and that thread of story or action or character or plot into the rest of the pilot and the series. Yeah, because this is a teaser, right? It needs to tease us for the future of the series. So you only have maybe three, four, five, seven pages and use that real estate and really convey what the rest of the pilot is going to be about. Yeah, we should be able to both know roughly what's going to happen next, but still feel the sense of needing to read that anyway. Right. And the other thing is you got to make that concept of that teaser stand out from all the others, as well as making it understandable for the reader to grasp it in those few pages. It's so important to convey that idea in a very unique, compelling way in only a handful of pages. It's really hard to do, but that is the power of a teaser. Yeah, I think if anything, you should err on the side of being more obvious about what your show is and what it's about than being overly mysterious to the point where people don't really get it. Right. Because again, you only have those pages to hook in the reader or the viewer. If someone is not interested after five pages, you can bet that they're going to skip your show, whether that's your script or your episode on TV. Yeah, think about reading an, an ad on a poster or a billboard. If you can't immediately grasp what that ad is for and what you would want to go buy after seeing it, then uh, it's probably not a very good ad. Yeah, just look at those YouTube pre-roll ads. There are 30-second versions of those teasers or trailers of those shows or movies. They don't really hide the ball in terms of, oh, this is a Transformers movie? We're going to tease the Transformer at the end. No, they put in the actual Transformer in the first freaking second of that pre-roll. They want to use those explosions as much as they can. Bam, robots punching. You exactly. Got That's what the movie right, is. So think of the teasers <laughs> like that, basically. <laughs> yeah, number three as well. You really want to make your characters, especially your lead character, your protagonist, stand out and be compelling just on a character level, regardless of what's happening around them. Obviously, it should intersect with all of that, but they should not just be a generic vessel for story. Yeah, this is the point of this Paper Tears episode where I'm going to say TV is a character's medium, like I said many times before. So the teaser should also convey that sense of character. You got to understand who those people are, because if you don't really care about those characters, we're not going to be following along as they go around their journey. And the last thing that people seem to bump up against is just being unclear or overly metaphorical to the point of being unclear in their description or their action or the geography of the scene. When in doubt, keep it simple. Don't try to get carried away with making it sound pretty. I'd much rather know what's going on than being confused. Yeah, that's the K-I-S-S mantra. Keep it simple, stupid. Sir. <laughs> Sir. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the reverence. You got to imagine that the reader of your script is an idiot. 
All right, that's the way to think about it. If that person is an idiot, how would you describe what is happening so they understand what is happening? That's how you should think of your pros and the way of conveying those descriptions, the way of conveying logistics. You got to help the reader along. It's important to be as uh, specific as possible because that poor reader is not going to understand most of the words they're going to be writing on the page. So you got to follow along and help them clarify what is going on in that picture. You got to paint that image as vividly as possible. Yeah. And as we've said before, the action and the events of the story going on themselves are much more important than the way in which they are conveyed in an artistic and beautiful manner. I should be able to describe to someone in the simplest terms possible what happens in a teaser and for them to think it's compelling. And on that note, let's get on with the show with our big mentorship reveal. And before we reveal who the person is, we're going to explain a little bit more about what we're trying to do with the mentorship in the months ahead. So as we mentioned before, the whole idea with this is that we're going to be taking one of these writers from the entirety of the paper teases we've read over the last many months, and we're going to develop an idea with them from the ground up, from a logline, essentially, and track that all the way through from every single stage and outline, a draft, rewrites, anything you can imagine. And we want you guys to be able to follow along with that and kind of do it at home yourself as well with your own projects. Absolutely. Every step of the way, it's probably going to be a monthly thing. And then every other week, we are probably going to post some content on Patreon exclusively for our patrons. But overall, we want every step of the process to be documented. So that way you can follow along and create your own pilot, whether that means creating that basic series overview at the top or those beat sheets or that outline or that draft or that second draft or those revisions along the way. And perhaps you can ask, you know, your own writing group to follow along in the same way that we're going to be workshopping that pilot with our mentee. You can follow along and mentee your own people or have your own mentors. Yeah, just swap out Alex and I for your friends or your writing group, and you can just do the, the same process. So Exactly. And the very first step is going to start next week, actually. This is going to be the first episode uh, we'll be tackling with our new mentee, and it will be essentially a basic series overview of that person's pilot. So they're going to come on, they're going to sort of present themselves to you, and we will be hearing the full sort of basic overview, whether that's, you know, the, the log line, the characters, the arcs, the themes, they're really broad strokes of what that person wants to work on with that show, we'll be hearing it for the first time live and we'll be commenting on elements we would want to work on and we're going to workshop with that person live on the podcast. So yeah, it's going to be exciting and tune in, but without further ado, the official paper team mentee for 2019 will be... Hold on, I got some breaking news. (laughs) Who is it going to be, Nick? Paul Chang, the writer of the Paper Tees student visa, if you remember from the Paper Tees back in September. So we really liked Paul's work and we're excited to bring his next idea and, and project to all of you. Bye. Yeah. If you want to check out his episode, that was PT 106 all the way back. I think we're on uh, PT 127 this week. Uh, it's been a while, a long journey, but after a whole year, it's been sort of this incredible look at you guys' teasers. And I feel like we've learned a lot ourselves just reading everyone's work and seeing how everyone stacks up uh, against not just each other, but just in terms of the work themselves and what uh, people can improve as compared to our own work also. Yeah, totally. I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to sit down and read so many just the teasers of scripts in a row and compare them all to each other and see what really does boil down and make a strong teaser. And I hope that's become clear to everyone else listening along as well, what works, what doesn't, and what you need to be keeping an eye on in those common mistakes. And that wraps up our paper tease segment. 
And now let's look at some paper scraps news. So since this is a, a super episode around the paper tees, we're not really going to cover most paper scraps news. We're going to be delving into those in our paper Patreon March episode. Uh, so if you want to follow along with that, you can go to paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. However, the one big thing we did want to mention in this episode is the Writers Guild fight with the agencies. Yeah, I mean, if you're reading anything in the trades or online or on Twitter these days, uh, you probably have come across this issue. And at its very basic level, it's essentially a renegotiation of an agreement between the Writers Guild and the organization that represents agencies in Hollywood and the, the terms in which agents can serve writers. Yeah, specifically the idea of packaging, the fact that your reps, uh, specifically the agents, are able to make commission off of packaging a show almost as producers of that content. So in a way, they are not just your representative in terms of your agent, but also your bosses in terms of that production company. So that's clear conflict of interest that the guild is trying to curtail and figure out. So it's a big, long-standing issue. The big main thing is that we cannot really cover it on the podcast yet because of our own recording schedule. It doesn't really coincide with the negotiations and releasing those episodes on time for it to be timely and relevant. However, we really want to do some kind of postmortem at some point and delve deep into this issue and everything that has transpired. Yeah, it will fundamentally change our industry in some way over the coming months and years. So it's something that you should definitely be paying attention to and making an effort to understand whether you are a working writer yet or not, whether you're in the WGA or not. This is a fundamental shift that will be very important. Absolutely. I mean, there is a decent possibility that some agencies are going to transform into production companies and some agencies are just going to keep being agencies and cutting off all their production uh, businesses aside. So it's going to be interesting to follow along. We don't really want to do sort of like a weekly check-in because we're covering a ton more topics, notably the big fellowship episodes that we're going to be doing week to week, sitting down with every big head of every big fellowship and writing programs out there. So we really want to delve deep into this subject once it is tackled and we can really speak to that much later, perhaps with some kind of Yale representative, most of whom are not really willing to speak publicly at this point. Yeah, there's a lot of confidentiality regarding ongoing negotiations and there's really not that much point in us speculating about what may or may not happen until we know how it goes down. So uh, rest assured, we will be covering it in depth after we have uh, something more substantial to say on it. All right. And that wraps up our big episode. However, before we go, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this deep dive episode, please consider supporting Paper Team on our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You'll get access to our paper patron podcast and other exclusive content including more insight into the mentorship process and we can keep producing a great show for you every week so thanks to all of our listeners for taking the time to tune in you can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 127 as always i'm on twitter at tv calling i'm at underscore nj watson if you have any thoughts feedback ideas for a future episode you can send them always to ask at paperteam.co and what are we doing next week well as we mentioned next week is going to be the kickoff of our mentorship with paul you'll hear more about who he is and we're going to hear for the very first time his show being pitched to us and how we're going to work with that and workshop it and development and give notes Oh, I'm excited and hyped. So uh, we'll see you next week. We'll see you then.